0: Hey there, and welcome to the Agentic Voice Podcast, where we explore topics related to functional vocal freedom and trauma informed voice care. My name is Kristen Ruiz, and I'm here with my co host, Dr. Geneva Main, and our special guest for today. But before I introduce him, in today's episode, we are discussing a topic that's on a lot of people's minds singing across different vocal genres and styles. And if you enjoy this episode, don't forget to follow and subscribe to our channels on Instagram, YouTube, youtube and your favorite podcast platform and spread the word to other singers teachers and practitioners anyone who is passionate about voice and let us know what you'd love to hear more about we'll be planning our next season soon so let us know what's on your mind now it is my privilege and honor to introduce our featured guest for today let me tell you about dr brian gill Dr. Gill has a DMA and a certificate in Vocology. He's a 2011 Van Lawrence Fellowship winner, a NATS Master Teacher in 2018. He's a Professor of Voice and Voice Pedagogy in the Jacobs School of Music at Indiana University, where he developed a graduate certificate in Vocology. Before IU, Dr. Gill was Music Associate Professor and Director of Voice Pedagogy at NYU's Steinhardt School and Langone Voice Center. He also designed and implemented this interdisciplinary voice pedagogy program. In addition to a very diverse performing career in the US and abroad, playing bass and singing heavy metal, hard rock, funk, country, jazz, opera, musical theater, and Indian classical music, Dr. Gill has presented for many of the major voice conferences and symposia around the world and has taught voice in 15 countries and over half of the United States. He has published in Voice Prints, Logopedics, Phoniatrics, Vocology, The Journal of Voice, and the Oxford Handbook of Singing. Dr. Gill is the owner of Gill Mindful Voice Training, an approach which helps both professional voice users and voice teachers learn to understand the underlying processes involved in effective and sustainable voice production by translating science to practice. So. He is not only a trailblazer in the world of voice pedagogy, he is also someone, I am not apologizing to say, who has changed my life as a mentor, teacher, and friend. So Dr. Brian Gill, I'm trying not to be giddy, but we are very <laughs> delighted to have you here and to get to speak with you today.
1: I am thrilled to be here and thank you both for the invitation. Yeah, and thank you for that lovely intro of blushing as you're reading things about me. <laughs> I was like, really?
2: (laughs) Well, to start our podcast, we usually have three segments, the first of which is what's new and what's good. And usually we just talk about whatever is new and good in our personal or professional lives, what we're comfortable about sharing. So I'll start by saying I am super excited that or just I should say grateful (laughs) that I got through this 15 mile bike ride yesterday. I was so proud of myself. I am so proud of yourself. <laughs> oh my I'm God.
1: tired thinking about it.
2: <laughs> I like, the first part of it was like a long steady climb and I almost ran into the person I was bike riding with and I braked hard and I haven't really even consistent about biking. I flipped over the handlebars, <laughs> it was just an epic. Wow. <laughs> it was an epic ride, but I'm so proud of myself. And it's like, you know, when you get up to perform once you have the, like the big mistake, <laughs> Then it's like I can do anything after that, right? So
0: <laughs> that that's part of the, the Gil Mindful voice training is to make the big mistake early so that everything yes, goes
2: well, right?
1: Get it out of the way.
2: <laughs> There's nothing like crashing and burning. You know, it's just like what else? I mean, I can't possibly go further down. So oh, man. congratulations. Thank you. I feel so good about it.
1: That's wonderful. Yeah
2: yeah so there's that piece and i'm also still kind of glowing over my first big publication in american Journal of speech language pathology and that felt feels good that was so hard to get off the ground so and it came out just before world voice day so yeah. that felt really good like a yeah. nice little present to myself so lots of good things
0: <laughs> I actually felt very honored because I got to see her expression when she received the email. Oh, <laughs> when nice. She got the notification. We were on a Zoom call. And it was very <laughs> wonderful to, to celebrate with you.
2: Yes. Yeah. That's
1: a huge celebration. Congratulations. Yes.
2: Wow. Thank you. Yeah. So, how about you, Dr. Gill? What's new and what's good?
1: Well, the latest is uh, we were just talking about it earlier. I have a course with my partner's Johan Sundberg. Uh, one of the world's top voice scientists, as y'all know. Mm -hmm. And uh, Philippe Alain, also like a really heavy hitter in the voice science realm. Um, And we are doing a course again for the first time uh, since, well, we've done some online things. We're doing a course in person for the first time since COVID hit. Um, So we've been regularly associated since 2010. So this is a big deal that we have our reunion coming up. And it's June 10th through the 13th over in Sweden, in Momsø, Sweden.
0: Wow. And and with the course, what's it focused on?
1: It's got, to, again, integration of science and practice. So it's called the science of the singing voice, uh, which, again, is a title that uh, Johann Sundberg used for his book. Um, but it's focusing on we'll be doing lectures, kind of the underlying themes, and then we'll do workshops. Uh, and then we'll also I'll, I'll be doing three different master classes with vocalises and the rationale behind vocalises and then also uh, integrating that into song.
0: And who would be an ideal candidate for for this course?
1: This, it typically is populated by a wide variety of folks from uh, performers to teachers of performing that may be still performing, maybe not. And then also speech language pathologists. We usually have many of them and then sometimes also laryngologists. So anybody dealing with voice is invited and most welcome.
0: And nice. how would they find out more or register?
1: They can, they can email Johan Sundberg directly. directly to the source (laughs) which again maybe we could post that or say it's jsu at kth.se I use it all the time so of course it's on my mind
2: (laughs) we'll definitely put that into today's show notes that sounds really awesome
1: great 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 Mm -hmm. in addition I I'm always when I when I saw that uh you know that coming up the what's good I constantly think about how thankful I am for the wide variety of folks with whom I work mm. um, and that they trust me with their voices. So I, I am grateful on a daily basis for that, but really it's the end of the semester here at Indiana University and just particularly grateful because of the, all the successes, it's recital season and all these things that are happening just make me you know, uh, bubbling over with, with joy, it's great. Oh, that's
2: beautiful. That's mm-hmm. beautiful. And how about you Kristen what's new what's good. Well,
0: today we're celebrating here in the Ruiz household some good news for my daughter, so I don't understand how it happened because 10 minutes ago she was six months old, but it seems that she's graduating high school <laughs> in a month, yeah. and um, she just got word that she's co valedictorian so <gasps> we are celebrating. Wow. I know. So we're we're celebrating and later today we'll we'll go figure out a way to make a big deal of this. Um but we're we're just really excited for her and our future. Uh, I I'm working on my own uh like letting go of the leash kind of thing. Um you know, it's a it's a new frontier on uh, my husband's and my side. Um but we're we're so excited for her. And so we're just kind of that's kind of been a joyful thing that we've been bubbling about today.
1: Great. Yeah, tell her I say congratulations. I've known her since she was
0: quite a bit
1: smaller. <laughs> yes. So
0: i used to (laughs) i used to take her i think she was like five years old sometimes or four years old sitting in a corner um you know with our lessons and and when i worked with you a little bit i would drag sam over so it would be the whole family in the room
1: (laughs) i love it i love what a beautiful family yeah i love i absolutely loved it and her energy was always so positive and yeah just great to have around so it's thrilling to hear of her success yeah
0: thank you thank
1: you Alyssa.
0: yes (laughs) All right so let's head into our next segment um we call it experience strength and hope and brian i want to say that i understand your work as an interdisciplinary approach to voice development where you're uniting voice research and practical application as well as technical coordination with authentic expression so can you tell us a little bit about how you came to such an integrated approach and why you think it's so important to weave all these different aspects together?
1: That's a great question. Um, And yeah, I'm I'm trying to make it not a long answer, Uh, but the, yeah, the integration came from, I guess, a combination of things. I began in uh, heavy metal singing and got lucky and just kind of did it in a way that was sustainable. I can still do my heavy metal screams um, and then I went into school to um, just kind of major in anything while I got my band going. And I ended up having to take choir. Uh, and <laughs> that, that got me into singing, singing classical music. And so then I thought, well, this is weird. How do these things intersect? Um, and then it ended up that I was with a, a teacher, let's just say that that had me pushing. Um, and while I was thriving and winning Nats things and all, I still felt like I was stuck. Then I ended up going to my master's degree in, in Colorado with Dr. Barbara Dasher. And she had this approach that was much more scientific, scientifically based. And I thought, ooh, I'm in a place where there are actual answers to my questions. Mm-hmm. So I started feeling more comfortable and confident with what I was doing. So I thought, this is a way, this is a way, a really good way to, to help uh, on my path and many others. So I, And I witnessed other people thriving. And when I left her, the only folks that I found were also people who would take me down a path of pushing again. And mm-hmm. so then I started thinking through a great deal of suffering that we needed stronger answers, even more specificity. So I started looking at how can I design exercises that will affect very specific changes. And through that and my partnerships with boy scientists like Johann Sundberg and Ingo Tietze and all... I started to learn how to take theory and put that into practice. Um, and so, you know, as a lot of wonderful things come from great suffering, I would say that this integration in particular came from, yeah, a lot of uh, hard hard roads. Uh, and so kind of putting things back together. And while I was on that road, I also explored mindfulness, which, which is part of what I, I uh, prescribe. And that was basically to save myself in life, not just this was not a voice related, but a life related thing. And I started realizing that being present was the key to opening up awareness and, and uh, establishing a deep understanding of something. Mm. So putting all of those things together. Yeah. Really realized uh, uh, how that figures into, uh, like you said, the authentic communication, all these things. Freeing up the voice actually makes someone speak more clearly, more authentically, more immediately. And so you start to hear from the soul of the person instead of some kind of manufactured sound, you know, where you're like, what? I'm not sure I read that very well. <laughs> so, yeah.
2: so you're kind of touching in on um, a question I had in my mind. I noticed that the word mindful is in the name of your um, training approach, Gil, mindful voice training and it's a word that's kind of trending right now um I, you hear it coming up a lot in the voice world and so i'm wondering why did you think it was important to include that name in your studio and are you using it in the in the trendy way or in a different way
1: um yeah i've definitely noticed it's been trendy um <laughs> i use it in i first of all it's there because it saved my life okay um and so that's why it's a, it's a major impact on me uh i i researched uh, sort of healthy, healthy ways forward in life through trauma. And I found Thich Nhat Hanh. And so then I started going to uh, meditation retreats with Thich Han and his his followers and all. And I found this person who across the board, no matter what your background was, religious or whatever, um, it didn't, nothing mattered. You all got together and he was teaching foundational elements of how to live a joyful life. Um, and spread compassion love positivity and i just right away i knew this is this is what i had imagined like growing up in a catholic this is what i imagined jesus was like i mean honestly it was like it was like this all unbelievable positivity and i use those techniques you know to uh, center myself and so then within my practice what it becomes is awareness mindfulness is awareness and awareness of what you're doing while you're doing it and taking in the experience without judgment, but in an effort to really practice discernment. Voice, you know, I've often said voice's best aspect is that it's flexible, voice's worst aspect is that it's flexible we're we're trapped by how many things we can do with our voice and we need to learn how to through experience and effort level we need to learn how to discern between what what is a sound we might make sometimes and what's a sound that we could make all the time and and and, uh weave those together so mindfulness i think is where what uh is the foundational element that we need in order to experience that and then um uh, benefit
2: so you're not really addressing it as um, a type of awareness that you need to self regulate but more as awareness of your voice and what it's capable of.
1: Yes. yeah that's
2: really cool um it's funny that you're saying that the voice is so flexible, because you know speaking today's topic. um, That flexibility is something that so many of us really struggle with. Mm -hmm. So. I don't know. Do you want to jump into this conversation? I'm I'm dying to know because you know, Kristen is my voice teacher, and yeah. I don't know how she doesn't get frustrated with me because
1: <laughs> she loves you. What do you mean?
2: <laughs> oh, the love is a hundred percent there. But if I had to teach me, my goodness. <laughs> oh my goodness.
1: I, I say that about myself too, actually. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, don't. I think that. Um, yeah, I think that the, the possibilities, the, another thing that's, that spurred me on actually on my path is there's a tremendous amount of research out there in music theater and contemporary voice. And one of the issues that I noted on some of the research, it will say all of the participants in this study had some vocal fold abnormality.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I went, uh-oh. So then I thought, but I have a lot of students who are doing it and have been doing it for 15, 20 years, some of them, and they don't you know, or they've circumvented it. So what are they doing? We, so in a sense, we need more longitudinal studies that really show us what, what activity at that level is sustainable. And it can't just be anything. It can't just be, we can deliver an aesthetic in so many different ways. We have to figure out for each individual, uh, what would be sustainable. And that's a very high degree of variability there as well. So we have to harness it.
0: Yeah, I think there's a there's a ton of interest in the field regarding, you know, singing across genres. And you mentioned, you know, like musical theater, there's CCM the you know, classical voice. And it seems like there are very like bounded separate camps Mm -hmm. and and each camp seems to have assumptions about the other camp. You know, but you kind of have an interesting positionality because you work so much across these divides. So what are some of your thoughts on the distinctions between the genres and the different vocalisms, you know, are they really as vast and wide as some propose? Um,
1: No, I I think, I think they can be. I don't think they need to be. Uh, So first, I'd say, you know, the evolution of that, I think the separation of contemporary styles. From opera was a necessity at the time, because there's a bit of a condescension that comes from the opera world, world you know, and I'm in it. I'm at you know, one of the top opera schools in our country. And there's a condescension towards popular styles, which is born of uh, kind of an ignorance for what that style actually entails, right? But it could entail some really bad things, you know that, that, call, that do lead to injury, but so can opera. You know, and I would say right now, there's a bit of an, an equal playing ground. I Everywhere I go in the world now, when I'm doing my talks, I say we are solidly in the era of pressed phonation. We are trapped in a place where people are pressing on their voice regardless of genre. And I think we as a community need to aware uh, be become more aware of that and also speak it, speak the truth and, and uh, try and find a way forward that's that actually meets the needs of everybody because from what I found, you can deliver any aesthetic with a sustainable vocal production. You do not need to, you know, scream or rough up your voice in order to do any genre. Um, so, yeah. So, I would say we have to again find out what is what's the least amount we need in terms of energy from the vocal folds uh, that can deliver the genre. I'll say what is just enough. Don't go back. Don't go past that level. I always love I always quote Leontine Price. And again, now I think she's 96 now. um, And she she said, sing on the interest, not the principal, which is an adage that came from her teacher. I love that concept. You know, you got a bank account with tons of principal and then you've got this little tiny bit of interest. Sing on that. So as little as you possibly can sing on to get it across. And and with the big caveat that it has to be effective. So we can't rule that out. There is a certain effort that goes into certain um, uh, communications. Um, like if you're saying, you know, someone's dead or a morto" or whatever, you can't go a morto," right? I mean, just it's got to maybe be, um, you know, whatever, ex- with an exclamation. <laughs> so, but but when can you do that? How often can you do that? And and uh, you know, make sure that that's not what the energy level you're using 100% of the time. So. Mm.
0: Yeah, when it comes to some of the the distinctions between the different things, you know, sometimes we can we've heard it said that, you know, in contemporary con, uh, CCM that you don't use any breath, and in singing, you know, in classical singing, it's going to use a ton, or the larynx is always low, or the larynx is always high, depending on which genre you're in. Like, what do you think about some of these, you know, broad stroke comments like that?
1: I I think they're unfortunate. I think they're true. I do think that there have been pe- people measured who do the aesthetic the way people expect the aesthetic to be that 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 are singing with a low flow. Um, I don't think they should be. And I think that you would get this. And I've shown a lot of folks over the years how to do it. Like people who are respected in the community, they deliver it, and I have this very nerdy flow mask, which you've seen, uh, where you can see a flow pulse, and you can see how high or low it is, so you know how much air is coming through every time the vocal folds vibrate. And you can get them to do the exact same aesthetic with a higher flow, which means the vocal folds have gone into a less hyperadducted position. And then they go, oh, that's a lot easier. And you're like, yeah, and it's still it's still the, the right output. That's, I think, what we need to be looking into. Um, The higher larynx, same thing. Yes, you could produce a sound with a higher larynx. I mean, you could, absolutely. Um, Do you need to? No. You can make those acoustic changes by adjusting your embouchure and have the same kind of change in brightness or, uh, you know, in timbre. Um, So yes, you could do it, but that's what I mean by the flexibility of the voice being a, a negative thing is you could do so many different things, but is it sustainable? And, 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 the trickiest part of that topic is that sometimes you won't realize whether it's sustainable for 10 to 15 years in some cases, you know, and the, but no one wants to lose their voice. We all want to sing as long as we're alive. And so we really need to be thinking about that and, and what is going to bring us into our later years. And, and then we still get to use our cathartic singing to, to keep us uh, moving along.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that there's a lot of singers where they don't have to wait 10 or 15 years. We've got people coming into the studio where, you know, a year, two years into it, all of a sudden there's changes in the, in the vocal fold tissue. And now they're dealing with lesions and recovery and stuff like yep. that. So,
1: yeah. Which then adds such a burden to the individual. I mean, that's, that's, again, that's another, uh, one of the things that pushed me into this realm was, was, um, partnering with voice, um, voice clinics and, um, you know, and, you, you start to see how each individual is is so heavily burdened with having had a polyp or a recurring polyp. I had one, one woman came to me and she was on her, she was going to go in for her fourth operation of a polyp. And they finally said, you need to go seek out someone else. And we have this person that we'd like you to go see. She is now years and years beyond that. Mm-hmm. And she had to change her approach to singing. And that was hard because her mentor was a like a family, quote unquote, you know, was her other family, acquired family. And they were very, very close, lots of love between them. But, but it was someone having, you know, with the best of intentions, having her do something that was causing a polyp to recur over and over again. And we got her to flow phonation and good resonance awareness. And then now no more polyp.
2: Yeah, let's recognize for a minute how hard that is when you have a relationship with someone that you've been working with forever, but you realize in order for you to go for the life that you want for yourself and the voice that you want for yourself, you have to cut that and and go to someone else. Talk about difficult, you know? Let's mm-hmm. kind of just acknowledge that for a second. <laughs> I
0: was thinking the
2: same thing
0: in terms of like the layers. Like when, anytime we're talking about voice, you know, there there's the physical instrument, there's the emotional psychological component, but there's also, you know, Patterns that we've had for years, and then you had that social relational component. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, when we, you know, things don't tear on the seam. You know, it, it's really when we have to advocate for our voice. There are some some interesting layers that have to be grappled with.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah
1: for sure, and it's super heavy because you know you're dealing with it's an instrument, but it's part of the human being. So it's a it's a it's majorly uh, a complicated topic. Like, as you're saying, so, so yeah, it, it is. And, and to reverse it, that's why I love the concept in vocology of habilitation, yeah. right? mm-hmm. sort of gaining a coordination that will um, decrease the likelihood of injury. Mm. That's a key thing to front load with that, um, as opposed to needing rehabilitation, because that really, that's a longer road and a much scarier road that, that has psychological, emotional um, uh, scarring that comes along with it. So.
2: I love that. Um, That's a great soundbite, and I'm going (laughs) to set you up for another great one, I think. So you talked about a couple of tricky things. So um, I've been thinking, what do you think? Well, I'm thinking of this story of this woman in my church who she came to do a performance. She was very, you know, beautiful classical singer, but she was doing like a mixed performance, going into a contemporary style in the same performance while doing a Negro spiritual. And she completely fell apart. You know um which was rough but you know the safest place to do that kind of thing is probably in a church right especially if it's not your church (laughs) you're never gonna go there again (laughs) (laughs) but um so the question is what do you think is the biggest thing that sets people up for you know a fail when they're singing between styles within the same song yeah.
1: Again, I think it's having those wide, like two two separate concepts. If the, mm-hmm. if they're really far, if they if they're not really thinking of voice as an instrument, you know, and the minor changes that come along with these genre changes, um, you know, then then they they're set up for for um, failure. Uh, so I think they have to be more closely related, and they can be. And you know, part of that is is having a, uh, a an awareness of these styles. You know, I think a lot of folks, a lot of folks may be set up for failure just because they don't know the genre very well. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, they might feel like a poser, so to speak, mm-hmm. and that puts a little bit of fear in there and doubt. And so then they feel like they have to push harder to make that style come out um, like rock and everything, you know? And so I, I always tell my students, I was like, if you're going to invest in other genres, your first investment is listening. Listen listen to the best of the best in each genre you'll notice that there's huge variety between the best of the best they don't all do the same thing they don't all sound the same and then listen to the prosody listen to how the person uses their voice cuz that's really what makes us think of the genre you know where is their straight tone where is their you know particular tunings how you know and once you're aware of that it starts to come out much more naturally and you can think of big ballpark things like flow awareness and resonance awareness, um, and all of a sudden the style's there. So I think people need to do their homework in that level. But yeah, when you have to switch up, if your concepts of different styles are wide apart, then that sets you up for failure.
2: So when you're doing a genre study, you talked about uh, prosody, resonance awareness, uh, flow awareness, um, I would imagine embouchure, you know. Um, so people should be aware of all of these things when they're thinking of a specific genre, and if they're going to switch between genres to make those minor changes. That's your message? Am yes. I getting that? Yeah look,
1: at, yeah, look at the articulatory changes that can bring about a change in perceived genre. And hmm. and they they are just simply how you round your lips or how you don't round your lips or how you spread your lips. Though that kind of uh, tuning, if you will, or changes in resistance, really governs subtle changes at the level of the vocal folds. So the more rounded we are, it encourages less contact at the level of the vocal folds. The more wide we are, encourages a bit more contact at the level of the vocal folds. And so just governing that way, instead of thinking, hey, I was singing this easy, you know, and then I'm switching now to, I'm going to belt, you know, then you've got to go and push. Um, just think about your shaping change, you know, it's just, you might change shape a little bit and see what happens, leave it as easy, but just change the shape. And some, you know, it's mindfulness over the time. Once, once you learn those aspects, it's, it's not an instantaneous thing, but mindfulness over time doing those will all of a sudden evolve into, um, a really, uh, competent uh, and effective and sustainable version in any style.
0: Hmm. hmm. It's hard to talk about singing um, across styles without touching on registration a little bit and it seems like there's a lot of registration confusion. Um, So can you speak a little bit about some of the things, maybe the misconceptions that singers and and even voice teachers might have or that you've experienced um, in working with other people um, about maybe the you know head voice versus mix versus belt. Can you speak a little bit to that?
1: Well, first of all, when I hear register, I think everyone should register to vote and be (laughs) part of our community. Um, But that's not what we're talking about here. Um, Anyway, yeah, I think that there are many misconceptions and they are aesthetically driven. So for instance, that's a mix, not a belt. That's everybody's favorite bomb to drop on someone. And really what they mean is, the sound you're making is not the sound I wanna hear. But then it heads; it puts somebody down a path where they're going to work a lot harder in order to get that big bad belt out. And that's not what they need to do. So, so we as assessors of voice need to become more precise with the language we use. Um, I would say in my, in my uh, assessment of these registers, which is based on aspects that have been measured. So that we can go to Nerdville for this everyone is mixing all the time, because for me, you're mixing elements that are inherent in different vocal fold postures. So for instance, if you're in head voice, you have less resistance at the level of the vocal folds and a thinner vocal fold configuration, right? So you so you have a vibration that, that will be less resistive, which means you'll have more airflow. So I call it light mechanism, you can call it head voice, whatever. And the reason it's, called head voices, it has a sensation that everything's living up higher in the head, right? So it's got a higher flow. Now, when you start to head into chest voice, that has a thicker vocal fold confer- configuration of thicker vo- uh, vertical mass, which inherently will have a longer contact time and will also have less flow because it's got a longer contact time. But you can change that vocal fold configuration to allow more flow through, but keep that thicker vertical mass. So it's a little slight adduction. You can do this with semi-occluded vocal tract postures. But in a sense, then you're mixing. You're encouraging the higher flow that comes from head voice to integrate in with the higher contact time found in chest voice. And so you're mixing down there. Now, if you want to go up into the stratosphere and have a higher contact time, I encourage people to let the vocal folds thin out and then through just intention, keep a higher contact time with that thinner vertical mass. And meanwhile, keep that good flow going. And so again, you're still mixing. Uh, And the best belters, that's what they're doing. You can tell you can ask them about their effort level. Some respected belters have a tremendously difficult uh, level, you know, effort level, we'll say, and some of them are very public, and some of them fall apart in public. And so you would look at that and say, well, that's obvious that that's not sustainable. I think we, again, it's, it's, and I feel bad for them. And I, and, and I want people to swoop in and save them from this, you know, from this. And, and in some cases I hear it, I'll hear their voice change. And I know that they've changed approach, whether it's with the same voice teacher, with, with another voice teacher, I know that they have, and it makes me just so happy that they found a way. Um, But it's got to be an integration of these different aspects. So it's in, in a sense, it's all, it's all mix and you get to decide Um, how, how you want to sing. You can, and there should be a continuum in any genre. You wouldn't want the same thing the whole time, right? I even like press phonation from time to time, you know, just for expressive purposes. I wouldn't rule that out in opera. I wouldn't rule that out in pop or anything else. Um, I also love head voice in pop music. It's incredible. And you'll hear it. You hear it in anybody. I mean, listen to Whitney Houston, my favorite, you know, and it's just, you hear it in there and without it, she wouldn't have been the marvel that she was, right? Um, so we have to, and, and Jennifer Hudson, I other not Yeah, anyway, um, these, are, these are like, I've, you know, the best singers that, that have lived. Um, and so, yeah, or our, and are and living. They, I think we need to look at that, listen to the flow, listen to the integration of registers and put that um, as the most important aspect of sustainable singing. Registers must be integrated and not divided and we need to be careful with the verbiage we employ, so that people don't feel like they have to work harder in order to impress.
0: Mm. I think um, you're making me think about voice types, because um, I would imagine what you know, say Jennifer Hudson does for a belt versus Ariana Grande does for a belt, might not be the exact same maneuvering, right? <laughs> um, and you and you mentioned something about about making assumptions based on an aesthetic, right? So we can teach to an aesthetic, we can sing to an aesthetic, but different voice types, they live differently, right? So what is your thought about, you know, when when the high soprano wants to explore a certain vocalism, and then you've got, you know, a robust mezzo who wants to explore, that they might not create the same kind of qualities, yet, we don't embrace vocal inclusivity, Mm-hmm. the one will be trying to emulate the other without actually finding their own true resonance. So can you speak to a little bit, um, speak a little bit about voice types and and these vocalisms?
1: Yeah, I mean, that. I think that's a great topic. And I think that's ignored a lot. It's ignored in writing, too, in music theater. It's like, oh, well, mezzo or soprano, whatever. Um, voice types are a real thing. You know and they they do while some folks there are outliers for sure that transcend certain boundaries and great let them <laughs> i'm all, I'm all I'm ready for the next person who can defy you know some of these things but but voice type comes from length and thickness of vocal folds as well as the vocal tract the vocal tract length um and when we're dealing with thickness of vocal folds and we're dealing with padding from these impact forces right we we have to honor that. How much can a thin, thinner vocal fold layer handle higher impacts? And the the answer is less than a thicker vocal fold. You know, and then we also have to consider the the um, the uh, presence of hyaluronic acid. We've known that now for I guess some somewhere around late nineties, early two thousand. That that's a padding, and that's often more found in born male than born female. You will have in the most superficial layer, you'll have more hyaluronic acid, which is what we have in eyeballs and all of our joints, which pad and protect the vocal folds. It's not been found in the superficial layer uh, as much in born female. I think that that's something we have to think about, which we also have to consider when we're dealing with transgender voice as well. We have to think what We don't know yet what hormones will do and so we need to really be careful with sounds that we that we work with as we're helping these individuals thrive
0: Mm, yeah um i'm thinking of a conversation i had recently with, with another colleague and um he was saying that one of the things he's been noticing in his studio was the idea that some of the singers coming to him are spending more time worrying about what the vocalism that they're supposed to be in as opposed to really engaging with the lyric, the story and their own resonance, you know, like that idea of <clears throat> leading to the external, right? It's like I'm supposed to create this product, so I'm going to contort myself to make that as opposed to saying, "Hey, this this is how I see that material. This is my resonance and I'm going to Take my resonance into this. Can you speak a little bit about what you're seeing, what you're noticing?
1: Yeah, I think I think that the the latter of what you just said is the most important thing. Like, the, I mean, it's kind of the the most celebrated singers are people who do their thing. You know, <laughs> they do their thing and they become the latest craze. And then we have thousands and thousands of people kind of filing fi- filing in to sound like them. They want to sound. And, and it's, it really is, in most cases, a path towards destruction. So I think if your goal is to mimic someone or imitate, then you're going to cut off yourself from fully realizing your communication. So my, my thoughts are when you fo- focus on functionality and you're focusing on what is a good flow pressure ratio resistance for this individual? What are their resonances sound like? And one of the things there with resonance, when resonance is effective, the sensation is, and this has been adopted, this has been in singing for a long time, but it's been adopted by the medical community. The sound is easier to produce and it feels vibrant in the facial tissues. Resonance voice is what that's called, right? And I think if we focus on those things, you will in every case start to hear what that individual wants to communicate and the way they wanna communicate. And that's what, that's one of my favorite things about what I do. When I see that happen, it slowly evolves as the coordination is developing and it's one of the most beautiful things. Mm-hmm. And that person then is set up to live a life where they're expressing the way they want to express and they could become the next signature sound. Yeah. You know, So I, I tell all my students, it's like, you don't know. You don't know what the aesthetic preferences are gonna be in five years, 10 years. So just stay your course. Aim for you know your authentic expression, and then see what happens.
0: I think that more singers would own that approach, that idea of taking their true sense of resonance and expressivity um, to the material. If it wasn't for some of the power systems at play, you know, and we we talk a lot about a trauma informed approach, which really does point fingers at the the power systems within our industry. Mm-hmm. And um there there's I've been on, on panels where um where the other panelists listening to the the singers competing will make comments about they should they they should be exerting more. Like mm-hmm. literally they they should they should be pushing more. Yeah. And so what I want to ask you is what would you say what do you want to say to those who are in power, whether it's the voice teacher, the um directors, the the people who you know the gatekeepers, you know the the panelists who who get to choose who wins that competition. Um, mm-hmm. what are what are some of the things that you wish that you know would be on our minds when we're when we're sitting in, in over singers?
1: yeah, well, first thing, anytime I am in that position, where I am assessing a competition or what I, I imagine each one of the people singing is my child. And I try, I think we all should be looking at that that way. Yeah. It's like, what would you how do you want them to thrive? And so you need to, while you do need to practice discernment, you also need to practice compassion and deliver certain things uh in, in a um in a positive, uplifting way and not a destructive way. So second thing I would say is we We need to educate the people that are in those positions of power. They just don't know. And so they're operating in a very fearful environment because they don't know they don't want to be found out that they don't know and that they're operating just based on their aesthetic preferences instead of how voice works as an instrument and so then they come from this fearful place and of course that's nastier anytime anyone comes from fear anger you know uh, or hurt it's going to be an aggressive more aggressive thing and so we just need to educate um you know i I had an article with christian hips where we talked about you know voice pedagogy what do we need and that was within the realm of voice teacher versus you know a, a, um, a voice rehabilitator, you know, or a coach. What are those things? And I think we need to really spell out those uh, uh differences and make sure that people are educated in the proper way if they're going to be dealing with voice, including the the adjudicators and also the people who hire. Um, so yeah, that's not easy. And I've been I've been in a few situations where my students are working with the highest level folks in the industry, whether it's music theater or a particular producer or, uh, you know, uh, at the Met. And the things that are said, I can't, I cannot believe. I, I absolutely cannot believe. And so I tell my students immediately, first of all, just give me the description of what they want. Right. And then we work on it that way. We say, forget all the other stuff, the hurtful stuff. And I said, you go back and do it this way. You know, it's right. So go back and do this in every single situation. Whether I was there in the room, which is sometimes the case on Broadway, where you're there in the room and you watch them go, oh yeah, that is what I want. And it was, it's amazing to see those transitions happen. Um, it, whether it's that or whether they go in and they report back and said, I got the thumbs up from James Levine or whatever. Um, you know, it, it has to do with education and people being willing to stand up for these things. So we as a community, instead of saying the industry is this evil over, overlord or whatever that's, that's crushing us all, we all need to say, no, let's just start talking. Let's be more open about this dilemma. And there are enough of us that are involved in the industry you know, that, that we can make a really effective, positive change. Because the bottom line is, it costs a lot when you have singers out all the time. Mm-hmm. So who wouldn't welcome in a healthier voice production as long as it's an effective, as long as it's effective. And if we as voice practitioners know those two things can exist, then we just need to insist upon it and be, be loud.
0: <laughs> I remember a singer um, came to me and said that um, she, she had worked with um, one of the big composer coaches in New York City. And he told her, listen, I want you to sing as if you're going to get nodules. Just don't get them that was the advice no thank heavens she had she trained in pedagogy she had trained in because she was a teaching artist as well as a, a professional so she she had knowledge and she knew her voice and we worked together to help find Another way, a healthier way, to create the aesthetic that didn't actually put her on the road to nodules. But that's the advice, you know. What? So I think that advocating for yourself and and scaling your own knowledge of your instrument and and how it all works, I think that's really important.
1: It, re- it reminds me of one of my one of my. Um more contemporary artists, pop artists, it was kind of folk, almost Joni Mitchell-like. So if you imagine, great poet. I mean, and it was young, very young at the time when this happened. And she was going in to do her second album. And the producer said, I really think that you need more of like a Janis Joplin vibe. (laughs) I was like, a 22-year-old? that sings really kind of pure, beautiful poetry and, you know, and none of that roughness, that's not part of who she is or how she wanted to communicate and being asked a little more Janice Joplin, which I, I love Janice Joplin, but I mean, a lot of that roughness comes from, you know, some pretty intense voice use um, and, and other substance use, you <laughs> right. know, and, and again, that's just, yeah. So why would you say something like that <laughs> yeah. and, and sing like you're going to get nodules?
0: Wow.
2: Just don't get them.
1: Just don't get them, just don't
2: get them. <laughs> so this is a really cool conversation, and I, I'm just loving having the opportunity to just listen to you talk so fluently about these topics. One of the things that you uh, said um, about singing, uh, what you want to sing and the way you want to say, to sing it, is our literal definition of agency, uh, vocal agency. So now moving into our final uh, segment, agentic practices, We love to feature a practice that facilitates agency or freedom for voices, you were speaking a little bit about having people have the agency to speak up for themselves. Um, What uh, practice would you like to share with us that you think is a great agentic practice that facilitates vocal freedom or or um, agency for a singer who's put in you know that kind of a situation.
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I I think the foundation of all of it, I I think sometimes people follow the whims of the people in their life, and instead of their own intuition, Mm -hmm. and the only way to combat that is with meditation finding quiet and breathing. So my first practice that comes to mind is doing that, finding quiet, finding stillness, and having whatever mantra you want or no mantra. I mean, it depends on um, uh, how you wanna proceed. And you basically breathe and try and calm your mind down, calm down the wild horses in the mind. And what you're going to find out of that, while it feels like doing nothing, which it's attempting at doing nothing. It's it's attempting to do next to nothing. You'll start to have intuition, and your inner voice will really start guiding you towards what you want to do. Um, and I think that that's what that's what really starts to get you towards autonomy, right? And and uh, and agency. Um, so that's the first step. Uh, w- beyond that, if getting a deep knowledge, I mean, and and let me know if I'm answering your question. Um, but beyond that, is you really have to seek out uh really strong solidly based answers for what you're wanting to do so right so i i would say that we have to be we have to be careful there's so many people out there that teach voice but if you're looking to do something very specific with your voice and you're really hoping to do it for your whole life you really need to go to a voice builder so someone who knows the instrument on a very deep level knows what's what's happening how to have specific exercises. That's another practice. I mean, I think that's an agentic practice. Having very specific vocalizes that will elicit proper velopharyngeal opening, proper uh, breath pressure resistance uh, ratios, right? Um, resonance awareness, all kinds of things. You have to have specificity. You can't just do a random lip trill and expect that to be fruitful. You need to do it in a certain way that's gonna get you to the highest level. So so one of the practices would be, be seek out experts that can help you.
2: I yeah. think that is so valuable. Both of the things that you said were so valuable. Um, and, you know, the first being so simple, just taking a breath, you know, and making that time for meditation and self-awareness. It's one of the easiest things to do, yet it's one of the most difficult, you know, because not only are our voices more pressed, but we ourselves are literally more pressed you know in running to and fro and this kind of thing so yes taking the time to breathe you know engages the relaxation response it helps us to calm it helps us to build the self-awareness of what's going on in our hearts and our minds with our voices completely agree with that 100 and then having experts can i tell you i mean i've been working with kristen for several years now and um pretty early on into our just working together kristen knew i was sick before I knew I was sick. And I wasn't sick in the way of, um, you know, having a cold, you know, or, you know, a flu or anything like that. I had clots in my lungs Mm. and she heard it in my voice. Wow. She, she um heard it didn't know what was going on because like who has cl- who's walking around with clots in their lungs, you know, yeah. but yeah. I was apparently for months, I was Ooh. walking around with clots in my lungs for months oh, and did not know um, until I finally went to the doctor but she heard it because yeah. you know, she just has this wickedly good ear. Good so, but when you have an ear and um, you understand, you know, vocology, you know, voice science and wait, why is this not happening, you know, um, then you're in good hands, you know, I just, you know, 100% agree with everything that you just said. Beautiful. Hands and actually,
0: if I could speak really quick to, um, it, it's interesting that there's a connection here with the three of us. Brian, you had mentioned, you know, it's important to seek out expertise. Mm-hmm. And so, Geneva, um, I spent like a little under a decade stalking this man. I mean, I pretty much, (laughs) (laughs) Brian, how many times was I in your office back back in our days at at NYU that I'm sitting there and I I would observe him teach. And what had happened is I was, I observed a lot of different teachers throughout the city, um, but I started to notice that there were a couple people that over the course of three months or six months, the singer's progress would be so, remarkable that I started to whittle down who I was observing and it kind of landed, in. well I'm in Brian's office again. and So, <laughs> so by we're talking about seeking out expertise, by doing the, those observations, by the way, Brian, thank you for allowing me to sit in and listen, because there were so many times where the sound, I mean, he worked with some really amazing singers and the sound would be so good. And then an adjustment would be made and it was like, oh, that's freer. Oh, that's great. And I would have before I would have taken the good as done, yeah. but that next level—it's—it's it's so nuanced, and I, and I love that you brought up specificity. It's so these tiny little degrees uh, of nuance can really unlock things. And so, Brian, I want to thank you for letting me, you know, sculpt uh, a, a spectrum of sound so that when I when I'm working with you know another singer that. I can pick up on some nuances, still learning. You know, every every year I'm, I'm better than I was the year before. But um, yeah, so so both of us are sitting here benefiting from <laughs> from my constant visits to your office, sitting in, and watching you and listening to you work with singers.
1: Well, thank you very yes. much for your kind words. That's really sweet. I, that, and that makes me so happy because I, I think what has to happen is just as Barbara passed on things to me that were invaluable, getting me on my path, as has you know Hansenberg and and Ingotietz and all these folks, um, that's what we need to do. We just need to keep passing it on so that a critical mass of people are aware of these aspects, um, you know, and 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 then that will that will turn the voice world around. You know, I think we're going in that direction. I hear more and more hints of that. I hear more and more people behind the desk, so to speak, saying. I really i am so exhausted by people yelling at me. I'll hear that quote, you know, and you're like, good, good, get exhausted. I mean, the other still out, out there, I still think it's the dominant force, but I do think there's uh, opportunity for change. Um,
2: so. Well, I think that's a great place to end our conversation today. In this episode, we discussed how to sing across genres with agency. Dr. Brian Gill dropped some real gems and we are grateful for his time, knowledge, and experience. If you enjoyed today's content, please don't forget to like and subscribe to the Agentic Voice podcast on your favorite podcast platform. We would also appreciate a positive review. Your Engages helps us our podcast to grow. Until next time, take care.